Another week in the House impeachment inquiry into President Trump wraps up. Here are some news developments to keep you up to speed. The Washington Post reported Wednesday some news out of a closed-door testimony from Army Lieutenant Colonel Alexander Vindman, the top Ukraine advisor at the White House. Vindman testified that it was White House lawyer John Eisenberg who proposed moving a transcript of Trump's July 25th call to a highly classified server. On Thursday, a divided House approved a resolution formally authorizing rules for the next phase of its impeachment inquiry. The vote signaled that Democrats are on course to bring charges against Trump later this year. The vote, though, fell close to party lines. Nearly all Democrats backed the resolution, and House Republicans, who've spent weeks clamoring for such a vote, opposed it. Also Thursday, Tim Morrison, who's the top Russia and Europe advisor on President Trump's National Security Council, testified that he alerted the acting ambassador to Ukraine of actions by Trump and his deputies. Specifically, he flagged their push to withhold both security aid and a White House visit for the Ukrainian president until Ukraine agreed to investigate the Bidens and interference in the 2016 election. Morrison, who plans to leave the Trump administration, said he did not necessarily view the president's demands as improper or illegal, but rather problematic for U.S. policy in supporting an ally. Morrison's testimony Thursday was one of several in a busy week on Capitol Hill, and calls for witnesses have continued. Wednesday, Democrats requested testimony from former National Security Advisor John Bolton. Bolton was a key White House advisor as the U.S. handled policy over Ukraine. Testimony from Bolton could help Democrats gain firsthand insight into some of the events in question. But John Bolton's relationship with Trump is complicated. So what do we know about how much John Bolton knows, how his testimony might affect the impeachment probe, and whether or not he'll end up talking to investigators at all? Let's find out. This is Can He Do That, a podcast that explores the powers and limitations of the American presidency and what happens when branches of government collide. I'm Allison Michaels. There are a lot of names floating around as this impeachment inquiry continues to unfold, so periodically we'll go a little deeper to explain a bit more about some of the key players. Today, John Bolton. The Post's national security reporter John Hudson filled me in on John Bolton's history in Washington and foreign policy. John Bolton is the recently ousted national security advisor for President Trump. And he has a long reputation in Washington dating back uh, to the George W. Bush administration, where he is basically one of the most hawkish voices in this town on foreign policy, uh, enthusiastic supporter of the Iraq War, uh, staunch foe of the United Nations, and a longtime critic of almost all of the existing sort of nuclear arms control agreements that exist views those as a sort of unacceptable restraint on American power. So do his views often put him at odds with others in the foreign policy community in Washington? Yeah, I mean, not only ideologically, uh, but also sort of bureaucratically. He's known as one of the more sort of sharp-elbowed bureaucratic knife fighters. He had to answer to this at his uh, confirmation hearing to be U.S. ambassador to the United Nations during the Bush administration. Uh, there were allegations like throwing staplers at people, yelling at people, intimidating people. One official even had this sort of iconic quote calling him a classic kiss-up, kick-down kind of guy. So how then did he come to become Trump's national security advisor? Interestingly, he launched a sort of Bolton pack uh, and even ran for president himself 
He also, meanwhile, always appeared on Fox News as this sort of swaggering, mustachioed foreign policy voice who was always critical of Obama and but started being very positive towards Trump and basically felt like he looked the part. And after Trump cycled through a couple national security advisors in his first term, uh, Bolton ended up winning that lottery. Was it the mustache that convinced Trump? <laughs> oh, well, reportedly, Trump actually doesn't like the mustache, so it's despite the mustache. Typically, what's the relationship like between a White House president and his national security advisor? Do they typically, you know, create policy together? Is one a sounding board for the other? How does that relationship usually work? Yeah. Well, uh, American history is full of different examples of complicated relationships with the president as national security advisor. Uh, it's generally understood that the sort of uh, Scowcroft model of being a national security advisor is sort of the gold standard. And that basically is, is the role of a national security advisor who uh, convenes the interagency, convenes members of the military and the Pentagon, the State Department, uh, the CIA. They get together and the national security advisor is the one making sure that the president gets a fully aired view of all the different agencies before he makes a decision. Now, uh, the way that John Bolton ran the National Security Council was certainly uh, unique. He really didn't use the process in a way that was designed for others to air their views, according to them. He really steered the process towards small groups, really worked as an advocate himself, really pressing on the president and pushing him towards really more hawkish and aggressive foreign policy rather than just being a sort of fair sort of mediator of views within the U.S. government. So let's talk about then what happened back in early September when Bolton leaves the White House. Can you explain the circumstances around his departure? Uh, a lot of this is uh, remains contentious. As, as soon as he left, uh, the president issued a tweet that surprised a lot of people. Um, at the time, Bolton said that he was the one who resigned and uh, that he wasn't fired. But it came at the culmination of uh, so many different fights that Bolton was waging on foreign policy in the administration. Bolton was devastated that President Trump did not order strikes, military strikes on Iran. He has been a longtime opponent of President Trump's nuclear negotiations with North Korea. And as we know, he was also troubled by this uh, shadow foreign policy that was being conducted by the president's attorney, Rudy Giuliani, in Ukraine. Let's talk a little bit more about that last point because it's particularly important to the impeachment inquiry. We know at this point, based on reporting and testimony gathered on the Hill, that there was this tension between Bolton running his official Ukraine foreign policy and Trump running his own policy based on operations by his lawyer, Rudy Giuliani. What were the key differences between their two foreign policy approaches? Well, so the official channel, which was run by a lot of State Department officials and some political appointees who have been uh, regional specialists for a long time, uh, was pretty similar to traditional U.S. foreign policy backing uh, Ukraine as it fends off uh, Russian-backed separatists in its east, uh, supporting uh, democracy in Ukraine, supporting anti-corruption efforts, things like that. Uh, then you had this unofficial channel that was led by uh, Rudy Giuliani. And this was a channel that was very much pressing the Ukrainian government, notably the new Ukrainian government following the election of President Zelensky, to open investigations that President Trump desired. At some point in this dual Ukraine foreign policy, Bolton learns that Ukraine aid is being withheld. Did he have insight into why it was being held up? 
Well, this is one of the things that House impeachment investigators really would like to know about. And that's mm -hmm. the reason he's being called in. They want to ask, ask him all sorts of questions about what he saw, what he didn't see. Purportedly, according to testimony of people who have come in so far, he was very disturbed by what was going on in unofficial channels. Uh, he was he called it a, quote, drug deal. He said that uh, Rudy Giuliani is a hand grenade and he's going to kill us all. So we've reported that he was made aware of concerns regarding Trump's July 25th call with Zelensky shortly after it happened. Do we know how Bolton found out about the call? Bolton was not on the call. We know that. Uh, he knew of the call. He was opposed to the call happening. Didn't think it was going to be a good idea. There, there was talk. There was interagency debate about whether or not to have the call. So it wasn't something that surprised him, even though he wasn't on the call. He had one of his deputies on the call. So how did Bolton respond to news of the call between Trump and Zelensky and some of the other things he was hearing about U.S.-Ukraine relations? Well, Bolton was at the receiving end of some complaints within the State Department about what was going on. This is from sort of uh, career officials, longtime Ukraine hands who saw what was going on and were uncomfortable that the office of the presidency, the U.S. government, uh, was using its resources to pressure Ukraine to open investigations that would have implications for the 2020 election. Uh, so one of these people that had concerns was the top-ranking U.S. official in Ukraine, uh, Bill Taylor. And in his testimony, he said that he aired those concerns to Bolton. And Bolton said, you should write a memo to Secretary of State Mike Pompeo. And that was a pretty interesting move because Bolton could, of course, get Pompeo on the phone anytime and mm -hmm. say, oh, it sounds like some of your subordinates have concerns about this. Asking Taylor to put that in a memo really, you know, memorialized this and left a paper trail and also implicated Secretary Pompeo, made it clear that he was, you know, at least aware of these concerns that some of his subordinates had. And so why he did that and why he recommended that would be an interesting topic of questions for House investigators as well. So now for a few weeks, as you mentioned, there's been chatter about Bolton possibly testifying. And on Wednesday, we reported that he's now been asked for testimony scheduled for November 7th next week. Was there a particular catalyst to Democrats making this ask of Bolton now several weeks into this inquiry? Well, you increasingly had testimony from career officials that would talk about conversations that they had with Bolton's deputies or things that they heard about Bolton's position. And, and Republicans at the same time started complaining that, well, you know, a lot of these really critical testimonies that are laying out the details of what would be considered a quid pro quo are coming from people with secondhand knowledge of what's going on. And so the National Security Advisor, who is the president's top advisor on all matters of foreign policy and national security, is somebody who would have more of a firsthand understanding of how these decisions played out. Now, beyond his firsthand knowledge, are there other reasons that Democrats see Bolton as a critical witness? Well, there are certainly some Democrats who have noticed that after leaving the administration, he really shortly after delivered a speech that was essentially a full-throated indictment of the North Korea policy that the administration has carried out. And so I think there's some thinking that 
he was fired. He disagrees on some things on foreign policy with the president. Maybe he is nursing some resentment and would be really sort of explosive witness. But I don't think that that's necessarily what will play out. While Bolton has laid out a number of policy differences with the president, he still has never really criticized the president directly in matters of character and leadership and things like that. And what we saw yesterday from the testimony of one of Bolton's advisors, his top Russia and Europe advisor, someone he personally brought in, was being very careful to not go after the president himself, lay the blame more at lower level officials such as Gordon Sondland, the ambassador of the European Union. And that might be a more accurate preview of what we would see with Bolton sort of minimize the damage at this point. As we saw from Bolton's aide, Tim Morrison, yesterday, he said he didn't think there was anything illegal about what Trump was doing, which was an interesting thing that he offered in his prepared remarks, particularly because uh, we now know that there were two different times when Morrison himself notified and alerted NSC lawyers about what was going on. Will Bolton for sure testify? Can we definitely be sure that he will show up on November 7th? No, we don't know that. Uh, well, we have reason to believe that Bolton, uh, like his deputy national security advisor, Charles Kupperman, are interested in waiting to see how the courts are going to weigh in on this. Kupperman essentially feels like he is torn between two sides. There is the uh, legislative branch, which is subpoenaing him and threatening that he would be targeted for obstruction of justice if he does not come in. And then there's a White House that is ordering him not to show up. And so he would like to see a court sort of adjudicate between the two. And so it's unclear whether or not we're going to see testimony from Kupperman or from Bolton. What news will you be looking for to potentially come out of Bolton's testimony? Well, uh, my expectation is... He is someone, uh, like I said earlier, who is a real bureaucratic knife fighter. And he left the administration nursing a lot of wounds about some of his colleagues, uh, Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, Acting Chief of Staff Mick Mulvaney. These are people he waged furious battles with uh, on, on matters of bureaucracy, on matters of war and peace. And if there's an opportunity for him to throw them under the bus – there's some expectations that he's absolutely going to take it. Uh, and, and that comes from conversations I've had with people who have worked with him for a long time and uh, some who have talked to him throughout this process. Uh, and so uh, that's a real possibility. Um, maybe he will turn on the president and maybe he will offer um, further confirmation of uh, a quid pro quo between the president and Ukraine. All right. We will stay tuned to that potential testimony and to your reporting. Thank you so much. Yeah, great to be here. This has been another episode of Can He Do That? If you want to get more news about the impeachment inquiry, you can now subscribe to a new podcast feed from The Washington Post. All of our audio updates on the inquiry in one place, including the latest from Can He Do That? Post reports and the Daily 202's Big Idea. Updated whenever news happens. Subscribe at WashingtonPost.com slash podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks so much. Can He Do That is a team effort here at The Post. It's produced by the fabulous Carol Alderman with design help from Kat Rudell-Brooks, logo art from Loren Boglio, and theme music by Ted Muldoon. One correction. 
An earlier version of this episode stated that John Bolton donated to Trump's 2016 election campaign. It should have said that Bolton's Political Action Committee has donated to pro-Trump candidates for federal office based on their positions on national security issues.